Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we have a great show on how to breathe through your nose and what to do if you can't. But first we're going to hear a little bit about an upcoming cancer lecture that links what we eat with how we feel. Sally Bella is certified diabetes educator and nutrition expert. She's been on the show a few times. She'll be speaking later this week. And her colleague and nurse navigator for cancer care at Straub Medical Center, Heidi Robinson, is on the line to tell us more. Heidi, why do we need to worry about what we eat when we're being treated for cancer? Hi, Dr. Kozak. Thank you for having me. Um, it's important to have healthy options for um, your diet when you're going through cancer, especially during treatment. Um, Sally does a great job about talking um, about nutritional needs during treatment for um, cancer patients and after treatment. Um, she talks about managing eating problems, good nutrition and meal planning, and she also talks about quick menu suggestions and recipes. Um, it's very difficult living with cancer uh, while you're going through treatment, a lot of times your food preferences change, you have decreased appetite. So she's got a lot of really good ideas, especially with um, patients who are living alone and maybe do, don't have anybody doing meal preps for them or doing recipes. So she has a lot of very simple, quick, um, easy food preps and recipes. So, you know, I always think of people who are undergoing cancer treatment as possibly being really nauseous and not wanting to eat and having trouble keeping up their nutritional status. And it is kind of important to have adequate nutrition because you are putting your body through this very challenging treatment. Is that really the focus of the lecture that's coming up this week? It is, yes. Sally focuses on um, healthy eating as well as tips. really encouraging instead of large meals throughout the day to focus on maybe smaller meals, um, trying to get in some really good nutritional food instead of the empty calories, you know, increasing your protein intake. So she does also do food demonstrations um, from time to time to some of her more popular recipes that patients have given her feedback about. So now this is part of a series of lectures that are put on by Straub Medical Center to really try and try and help those dealing with cancer to address a variety of topics. And this is the nutrition aspect of it. Tell me a little bit more about where and when. What are the details about this event? Yes. Um, So tomorrow is going to be the I Can Cope class, and it starts at 5 p.m. and goes until 6.30. So, again, that's um, Tuesday, November 22nd. And it's located at Straub Clinic and Hospital um, on the sixth floor in the Palma Building. So it's in the dermatology waiting area. Um, And that address, if anybody needs, is 888 South King Street, and zip code is 96813. Um, And to register, we would ask you to call 522-4336. Now, what if you decide, excuse me, tomorrow that this is definitely going to be the day you're going to go, you Mm -hmm. feel well enough, you want to show up. If somebody shows up last minute, probably still we can get them in, right? Absolutely, yes. If, If it's too short a notice to call, don't worry about it. Just come in and... We have, um, we'll have plenty of space, and there's going to be some refreshments and snacks served as well. So no, no worries if you can't call to register. Now, this is part of a series, the I Can Cope series. What other sorts of topics are discussed at some of these events? So I Can Cope is typically the nutrition focus, and that's, we hold that um, about every three months. Um, but shortly, starting in January of, of uh, 2017, we are going to be starting back up our monthly um, oncology support group for our cancer patients here at Straub. So we will have more information coming on that. 
Great. So people can just kind of keep their ears open and maybe see some of the flyers or you might get some, see some advertisements, either potentially in the newspaper, I would imagine, or on the website, kind of get out more information about this. Because I think this is really one of those areas where when you hear those words, you have cancer. I think Mm -hmm. your world tends to stop. And in all the different things that used to be really important no longer are. So your priorities shift. You really need to focus on taking good care of yourself or your loved one if they're the one affected by this. And that community of people who have been there, who are going through it, Mm -hmm. who are, are potentially people who can be sort of mentors for you irreplaceable, something that we really want to make those connections. Absolutely. And, and again, it's not only for patients, but caregivers, um, loved ones can, can come with to these classes. Um, it's really to provide support to our patients. And like you said, when you get hit with a cancer diagnosis, um, your world is changed upside down just immediately. And so people tend to go into a survival, just purely functional mode. And um, we would like to try and support that patient in every aspect of their life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, so um, and nutrition-wise as well. So really just trying to help the whole person get through this um, in the most successful way possible. All right. And that event again tomorrow is going to be at the Straub Medical Center. And uh, you mentioned sixth floor of one of the buildings. If you get lost, there's lots of people who can help you yeah. find it. And uh, w- part of a series of great lectures that we've had Sally on a few times. I know she was busy this evening, but uh, she's been a great nutrition source for us, just talking about various health topics here on The Body Show. So yep. I'm sure it's going to be a very engaging discussion tomorrow. So It, it will be. My, co- again, I, my co-navigator, Kathy, will also be present. So if there's any more medical questions that correlate with the nutrition segment, she'll be there to help answer. And it is on 6th floor Palma Building, and it's in the dermatology waiting area, again, at 5 o'clock tomorrow evening. All right. Thanks so much for calling in, Heidi, and telling us more. Thank you so much, Dr. Kozak. Have a good evening. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Now, hey, have you had a little trouble breathing these days? Well, hopefully not because of cancer. We're going to be talking about a totally different topic, um, but it sort of relates because we have Dr. Timothy Stoddard. He's an ENT specialist at Straub Medical Center. And, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about sinuses. You know, sometimes people feel like they just can't get a deep breath of air and it might not be your lungs. It might just be in your head, literally in your sinuses that you have a problem. So we're going to be talking today about common sinus symptoms, how to know when it's more serious than you think, and how much is too much when we talk about some of the over-the-counter medications that people have been using to try and clear out their nose. All right. Well, our show, as always, is your show. So that if you have any questions or if you've suffered from chronic sinus problems, we are here live in the studio. You can always join us at 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Stoddard, thank you for being here on The Body Show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Well, let's talk a little bit about sinuses. Why, why do we have them? You know, I've heard somewhere that if we didn't have sinus cavities in our head, it would be too heavy for our bodies or our necks to hold up. That may be true. We, we don't know exactly why uh, we've developed sinus cavities, but there's one theory that it's sort of um, to, to keep the head lighter. Um, another theory is that by having these air spaces in your face, it can actually help you resonate your voice. Can, your voice? Your okay. Voice can, yeah. Do other animals have sinuses? They do. They do. I guess they can resonate too. <laughs> 
I'm thinking of my cats. Do they have sinuses? They have a nose. I would imagine it goes somewhere. So, all right. So this is a lot of theories on why we have sinuses. Mm-hmm. And what is nor- what do the sinuses normally do? What What is their role when they're working perfectly? When they're working perfectly, you're not really even aware of them. You know, and um, they are these air-filled spaces in your cheeks and your forehead and between your eyes. And um, they produce actually quite a lot of mucus because um, we actually make about half a gallon of mucus every day, and we all swallow it. Um, and yeah, thanks it, so much for that. <laughs> right around dinner time, what you having? That would be mucus. Thank you very much. So the sinuses produce the mucus, and I've heard like two liters a day, which is why when you get really sick, going through a box of tissues is not all that surprising. That's right. Okay. So the sinuses produce mucus. Do they clear out some of the air that we breathe in? Well, most of the particles that you breathe in and that get trapped in that mucus, most of that you know filtering happens in your nose. So it's not really that the sinuses are participating in that so much. And so with when you take a deep breath, when I take that deep breath in and I know that that air is kind of coming in through the nose and heading down towards the lungs, there's that whole other sinus passageway. So when they're working correctly, I don't notice that they're there. When they're not working, what are some of the common problems that can happen with the sinuses? Right. So uh, this is interesting because uh, thinking about what you can actually attribute to the sinuses and what's actually not involved with the sinuses is what I do every day. And, um, you know, people come to see me with a lot of complaints about pressure, uh, this feeling of, of kind of a dull pain, often kind of behind the eyes, right behind the uh, eyebrows and in the cheeks. And what we're learning more and more is that that may not even be from the sinuses, that it might be a migraine headache problem. But, um, other things that can be tip-offs that that the sinuses aren't working correctly, uh, just feeling stuffy, that you have difficulty moving air through your nose. So like you can't breathe through a nostril. So you know anybody who's listening, you could close one nostril and breathe out of it and try and close the other one, breathe out of it. And if you can't, then you might have, you might have some troubles. True. Although a lot of that might be just in your nose and not necessarily because the sinuses are actually these compartments that are on... Further back, like the caves in the back. Yep. Like the storage room. Kind of. You know, in the back closet and the back office area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you feel congestion, it could be all frontal, nasal. Mm-hmm. And if you have mucus or you have infection or you have potentially pain, people talk about their, quote, sinus headache, mm-hmm. which, again, might just be a headache and not related to sinuses. Mm-hmm. But there are some classic things that can happen when you get sinuses, like, for example, infected, mm-hmm. that could give you some of these same symptoms. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So... Um, you know, a lot of us are coming down with common colds uh, this this winter and this fall. And the things that people experience with colds can often mimic what a, a real bacterial sinus infection is. And, and so just getting a, a stuffy nose, feeling pressure in your nose, having yellow-green mucus, that can all just be from catching a cold. Um, when it persists, though, more than 10 days, that's usually kind of our cutoff time, then we have to think about it being a bacterial infection. Well, and there are some classic symptoms if it is a bacterial infection that people will have. Mm-hmm. What are some of those? Well, the classic symptoms are very similar to the cold symptoms, actually. It can be just uh, nasal congestion. It can be um, th- kind of a, a thicker, foul-smelling mucus that comes out of the front of your nose or that you're swallowing in the back of your nose. Um, pain or pressure, usually in the cheeks. Um, and yeah, the, the one that I've been surprised about is tooth sensitivity. Yep. 
you think you have a cavity. Oh, thank God you don't. But it really feels painful and pressure wise. And why is that? Do the teeth somehow connect to the sinus? Yeah, you know, the the upper teeth anyway, their roots go right up to the floor of the, the maxillary sinuses or the ones that are in your cheeks. And so some people have actually tooth roots that go up into the cheek sinuses. So that would explain why pressure, if you feel pressure or you feel sensitivity in your teeth and you have that infection in that sinus, it literally could be causing that symptom in the mouth. That's right. And you don't have to run to the dentist. Not necessarily, although having infected teeth and having a a bad tooth infection that becomes an abscess... Could do the opposite. Yep. So you still have to go to the dentist. Yep. Well, I have to go to the dentist tomorrow. Uh, Unlucky for him because I'm not a good dental patient, but (laughs) I have to go and I'm I'm fine with my sinuses. Okay. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Martin on the line from Kailua Kona. Martin, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. What can we do for you? Um, Well, several months ago... February, uh, I developed a clogged ear, uh, and it was difficult for me to hear anything at all out of my left side. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't on my right hand side so much, but I did have it at first. But it's persisted today. You know, uh, I woke up this morning, my left side was so clogged I couldn't hear anything from that side, um, and I'm very curious about it. So am I, Martin. That's a real interesting question because, you know, I know that when I've had really bad allergy problems, I've kind of had the same thing. You can hear less out of one ear because you really do feel like it's just so congested on one side. I'm really curious, Dr. Stoddard, where do sinus polyps or nasal polyps fit in this whole scheme of things? So here's Martin. You know, he wakes up, he feels pressure on one side, and there is a connection if you, and you talked about that resonance, that air resonance that we have, Mm -hmm. but also hearing also requires resonance as well. So if you have a complete plugged sinus or, or some kind of obstruction or problem, you could also hear less. That's true. And I I think what you might be experiencing, Martin, is a problem with a, a little tube that connects from the back of your nose up to the the backside of your eardrum. It's the eustachian tube. And first off, though, I would say that if if you are having one-sided hearing loss like that, good idea for you to see an ENT uh, so that you can have somebody, or, you know, your primary care physician too, just so that someone can take a good look at your ear and see if there might be fluid behind your eardrum, if this might be related to maybe a, a chronic ear infection, but if, you know, You'd usually have ear pain if that was happening, too. What about wax? Could wax do that? Sure could. Could a big ball of, not to gross you out, Martin, but plugging of wax just make you unable to hear? You might not feel the nasal congestion, but you definitely would have the change in the hearing. Yep. And getting well, back... Well, hydrogen peroxide as well to, you know, to clear out wax. Um, yep. That, it, has, that has helped somewhat, but it hasn't uh, alleviated Mm-hmm. Well, that brings up another really good question, Martin. How do you clean your ears? Ah, so many you know, people like, ask this. Yeah. So many people ask this, and so am I, because I'm like, I'm loving the Q-tips, and I know I shouldn't, and yet I'm loving them, so <laughs> why should I not? They make me happy. Well, the whole adage of don't put anything in your ear that's uh, smaller than your elbow. Um, yeah, and I've, I've said that before, and people are like, where'd you get that from? You- I'm like, I swear, an ENT doctor, I swear. So you just said it. Now I'll say it's you. Okay, <laughs> so that's true because naturally your earwax would come off. You'd think maybe it was dandruff. It's actually earwax, and, you know, it's okay to let your ears kind of clean themselves. But I love the Q-tip. Why? 
I mean, a lot of people just love the feeling of that Q-tip in the ear canal to kind of scratch and itch if the if the ear canal is really itchy. Our concern as ENTs is that the Q-tip is just going to compress and compact the wax deeper down into the ear canal. And the way we're designed, earwax should just naturally fall out and kind of crumble out of your, your ear canal. For a lot of people, that doesn't happen. And I think especially in Hawaii where... Uh, it's more humid where people are spending a lot of time in the ocean. That wax is continually getting kind of wet and sticky. That That's where we see patients with more compacted earwax. And if that's the case, then, yeah, hydrogen peroxide, like you said, Martin, is um, it's useful to kind of help soft, not soften it, but to help break it up a little bit. But oftentimes that's not going to get it out of your ear canal. And so there are over-the-counter products that can help with that too. Um, Debrox is the brand name for one that is an oil-based uh, product with some uh, carbamide peroxide in it. And you can put it in your ears and it helps to soften up the wax. And the important thing to do after, though, is to actually flush your ear with some lukewarm water. And that just gets that softened wax out. So how do you flush your ear? Um, usually those kits come with these little bulbs, like the little... So uh, you feel like, you know, you can put the water in and then it drips on out. It, it's messy. You've got to lean your head over a sink and have a lot of water on hand. And sometimes you can flush with a with uh, kind of 50-50 water and hydrogen peroxide, and that can really help. Okay. So if you have your ears cleaned off and if you have problems, should you avoid immersing your head underwater or just go enjoy the ocean and figure it out? Well, I say enjoy the ocean. <laughs> I agree. That's I'm going to go with you on that one. But getting back um, to your point, Dr. Kozak, about the polyps in the nose, and we do see patients who have chronic sinus concerns or just inflammation in the sinuses that can lead to that eustachian tube being swollen shut and not opening and closing normally. And oftentimes the complaints will be, you know, my ear either has this, this I, I feel the need to, to, to equalize the ear. To pop it. Yep. Right. And, and if you can address the, the ongoing inflammation either in the nose or in the sinuses, that can help to open up that tube. So that would be the sensation where, you know, if you're coming on a plane and you're descending mm -hmm. and, you know, you know that the cabin is repressurizing, when your ears pop, that sensation of the popping, you wouldn't be on a plane. You'd be on at sea level and be feeling that same kind of, I feel like I need to pop my ear. Mm -hmm. So that could be a sign that it really is not necessarily the ear, but it could be your nose. It could be the eustachian tube. It could be a variety of things. And not good if it keeps happening. Correct. Yep. So if that's the case, I mean, it's one thing if you're driving over the poly and you have a little ear pop, okay, you've just, if there's no traffic, you've gone up pretty quickly. But but if, if you're just kind of driving around Kalaniani-Ole or some other flat road that you can see the ocean from, it probably shouldn't be popping like that. Probably shouldn't. And <clears throat> it's mostly just really annoying, too. <laughs> it is annoying. That's very true. That's very true. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Stoddard. He is an ENT specialist at Straub Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about mysteries of the sinuses, how to know if it's okay to just take some of those over-the-counter nasal steroid sprays, how they're over-the-counter after being prescription for all those years, and is it safe to use them regularly, or are there other options? We'll be back in just a moment, but remember... We're here live in the studio. If you've got a sinus problem, I've got the guy who might be able to help explain it. Although I'm still going to love my Q-tips. I'm just going to admit that. You can give us a holler at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
on the next humankind. We can have an injury to our dignity. It can be trampled upon. It can be wounded. But it can't be taken away from us. It can't be stripped out of us. A mediator of world conflicts describes the importance of honoring your opponent's dignity. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. The Washington Post said Christopher O'Reilly played so delicately that he seemingly left no fingerprints on the keys. O'Reilly, the host of From the Top, performed some of his own arrangements of classical and contemporary music in the Atherton studio, December 3rd at 4 p.m. Reserve your seats by calling 955-8821 during business hours or at hprtickets.org. This special event sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership Wealth Management. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Kaiser Permanente and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Stoddard. He is an ear, nose, throat specialist at Straub Medical Center. And today we're talking about mysteries of the sinuses. What happens when you just can't breathe well? Is it your mouth? Could be, but it also could be your nose, could be your sinus. And some of these symptoms are pretty minor and sometimes they can get kind of serious. We were just talking with Martin from uh, Kailua Kona about what happens when you can't hear out of one ear. Talked about wax could do it, but could also have that little buddy, the eustachian tube that can be getting clogged and or getting stuck and needing to open up. And the only way to do that is really get it checked out by your doctor. Now, you know, infections are one thing that can happen in the sinus, but just look at the weather outside. We get fog, we get all these other wonderfully growing plants and pollen and dust and all sorts of things people are allergic to. What is the difference between allergic symptoms of your sinus compared to those infected symptoms. We talked about pain with the infection, maybe weird colored mucus, and maybe not as associated with a seasonal component. What would allergy sinus symptoms be? So typically patients with with allergy symptoms or allergic rhinitis is the term that we'll use for it, will have kind of a watery, runny nose all the time, itchy eyes, itchy nose. I mean, most people know what allergy feels like, but um, and frequent nasal congestion too. With that, and the the issue with that in your sinuses, because that's all mainly happening in your nose, and some of those things that you're allergic to in the environment can make their way up into the sinuses too. And when you've got that kind of ongoing inflammation in your nose and in the sinuses too, then the 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 normal drainage pathways for mucus coming from the sinuses into your nose, where it's supposed to go, that those little portals can get swollen shut. And that can set you up for having either recurrent sinus infections or um, kind of more kind of a smoldering, low-grade chronic sinusitis. And what's the danger of having the low-grade sinusitis or the chronic infection? Does it cause harm? Does it cause damage? Should we be worried about it? There can be complications from sinusitis, and they can be serious. Um, and those can include having the infection go from, say, your forehead sinus actually to cross over into your brain and to cause Okay, even, well, now you've scared me. Yeah. 
It could infect your brain. I mean, I guess, you know, the sinus is right in front. So, okay, there is that possibility. And if that were to happen, obviously, you'd have other symptoms. You would you would present differently. You wouldn't be just having a sinus problem anymore. That's right. It would quickly get much more serious and usually with, with pain and, and other symptoms, too. And people would do testing. Yep. So so the allergy sinus, the clear, or the allergy allergic rhinitis, the clear kind of drainage happens all the time. What do we do about that? These days, you know, I can remember 10 or 15 years ago, all of the allergy medicines, all of the nasal sprays, they were all prescription only. And now we found that they're really safe, and you can buy them over the counter for the most part. Allegra is over the counter, fexafenidine, claritin, loratadine, uh, Zyrtec, cetirizine, you name it, you can get it over the counter because in general, it's actually a pretty safe type of treatment. Should people consider doing some of that self-treatment for those symptoms? And if, hey, if it works, you know, I mean, I found I have allergies because when I took the Allegra, boy, I felt better. And when I didn't, oh, I felt worse. And maybe the cat had something to do with it. So, you know, when you know what you're you're allergic to and you are not going to change exposure levels, can you just start taking some of those? Is that okay? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's generally best to discuss that with your doctor as well. Um, I mean, certainly anytime you're taking a medication like that, it's, it's a good idea to talk about it with either your primary doc or if you see an ENT. Um, but you're right, those, those are common medications, and they're, they're really fairly safe, the uh, Allegra, Zyrtec, and um, Claritin. Um, what we know, if you do have a diagnosis of allergic rhinitis, the, the number one, kind of the, the mainstay treatment for it is the nasal steroid spray. And those have been around for a while. Most of them are over the counter. I personally prescribe most of them because for patients' insurance, it can usually be cheaper uh, if I prescribe it. And <clears throat> those, the common ones are like Flonase, Nasacort, Nasonex. Um, and we know that in order for those to work, I, I really caution all of my patients that you need to use it every day. And they're often kind of handed out to patients who think that, oh, I'll just use it, you know, when I feel bad. As needed. It's never going to work as needed. You have to do it every day. Yep. Because otherwise, you know, just when it starts to work, boom, then it stops working and then you have to start all over again. Yep. But I've also heard that with using chronic nasal steroid sprays, you know, you also have to consider that you might not see the maximal benefit with one spray. It might take you a couple of weeks to really see that it's kicked in. And if you decide after taking it for three days it's not working, maybe you haven't taken it long enough. Absolutely. No, I regularly caution patients to, to give it a good try for at least even four weeks before you pass judgment on it. And really, the they, people always ask me about the side effects from those nasal steroid sprays. The only one that, that really seems to present itself is potentially nosebleeds because uh, if they continually hit one spot, they can irritate that spot and you can have some bleeding. But they really they work locally, so the medicine is absorbed by the tissue in your nose. But it's not like others. A lot of people are scared of steroids, and with good reason, because steroids can have various effects in your body. But these work just locally within your nose and your sinuses, and very small trace amounts are absorbed. Well, small amounts are absorbed by your, your body systemically. But much less than people would need to be concerned about yep. for the most part. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got some callers on the line. We've got Daryl on the line from Kaimuki. Daryl, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Well, I have one ear when I dive, won't pressurize. I'm wondering if the doc can tell me what might be going on and if there's anything I can do to uh, uh, make it work, I guess. 
That's an interesting Makes question. My ear work. <laughs> so you mean when you go scuba diving, or just mean in general? Yeah, no, I just like free diving. Not, when you're free if I go diving, scuba, it'll pressurize over time. You know, I give it enough time, but just free diving, it won't it won't do the rapid pressurization. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's the same issue with the eustachian tube that we've talked about um, with the, the previous caller. And um, the advice I might give you is similar to what I tell patients who have problems when they're flying on airplanes. And you might try something uh, like over-the-counter like Sudafed. Or um, there's also some nasal decongestant sprays like Afrin uh, is commonly used in it's a really good decongestant, but you can only use it for about three days in a row. Uh, and after that time, um, you need to take a break from it for about a week. Otherwise, your nose and and uh, your sinuses can get actually more congested than they were before. That rebound congestion phenomena. Yep. So it might be, mm-hmm. Daryl, you might just be such a fast free diver that you get down <laughs> there it. so fast <laughs> that, like, you know, how amazing is that? But when you're free diving, you kind of got to get down pretty fast. Interesting right. you said when you scuba that it actually works as if maybe giving your ear time to pressurize. It can work. It's just like your slow ear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it feels like the the the, val- the valve or whatever is just really small, and so it you know, I can't pressurize quickly, but you give it five or ten minutes and it will. Hmm. So the good news, Dr. Stoddard, is it works, just not as fast as, as Daryl wants it to. Right. All right. But the interesting, you know, when we talked about Afrin, and, and I know some folks who have really gotten sort of stuck on the Afrin because when they use it, it's so good. And when they stop, it's so congested. Mm-hmm. So it really takes a while to withdraw from it. It's a weird thing. It's an over-the-counter medication that if you take longer than you're supposed to, you kind of start to like it too much. you got to be careful with it. Um, it's really effective. It's great, especially when you're sick. And if you're so stuffed up, you can barely breathe through your nose and you take a couple sprays of the Afrin or um, Afrin's other name is oxymetazoline. There's another one called neosinephrine, which is also fast acting like that. It's great for your symptoms when you're sick, but if you take it for more than really about five days, it, it can cause some problems. And So don't be sick longer than that. That's right. Or just take a break from it. Sure. And the other thing that sometimes works, I've known halls will often work. You know, one of my one of my patients is a flight attendant. She brought back something I thought was gross until I needed it. It was gum that tastes like halls. Hmm. So it was very interesting. I think it was sort of that eucalyptus kind of deal going on. Plus, you also had the constant chewing. So you were hope, help, hopefully helping to open up that eustachian tube by the jaw area. And uh, at first, I thought it was gross. But I got sick. I got desperate. And I got to tell you, Hall's tasting gum was actually pretty darn good at that point. Interesting. Interesting point about Hall's and menthol. They don't actually open up your nose any more than it's all psychological. It makes me feel good. It, hey, it works. So that's it's good. like my Q-tip. <laughs> you can't take it away. I'm liking my halls. Yeah, it is, and it doesn't actually do much to the nasal tissue, but it makes me happy. It, it feels better. That's what's important. Feels better. I'm going to go with it, Doctor Stoddard. You're not going to get it away. My take my halls away. All right, we've got Paco on the line from Palolo. Welcome to the Body Show, Paco. Hello. Hello. Yes. What can we do for you today? Um, my nose seems to close up at night when I'm sleeping, sometimes just on one side, but it's not mucus-related. Um, and if I use the Breathe Right strips, it sort of helps the one side stay open, but it can be either side. And if I do exercises, then it seems to clear up um, and open up again. I have to get up in the middle of the night to do that. I'm wondering what that is. Wow, you're a dedicated middle-of-the-night exerciser. 
I'm giving you some serious props for that. But I bet you'd rather have a full night's sleep. You know, Dr. Shadard, I've had this happen. You know, when you get a little congested, you lay on your left side so your right side is all clear. Then you turn over and you lay on your right side and you can, like, feel all the mucus go to the go to the right side and your left side is all clear. What's that all about? What's going on? How come our nose doesn't stay clear all night? Is it gravity? Part of it, yeah, part of it's gravity and just and when you're horizontal, there's more maybe some blood f- accumulation up in your sinuses and your nose that makes you feel more stuffed up or makes you more stuffed up. Interesting thing is your nose actually has a cycle so that one side is more congested than the other for about six or eight hours, and then it switches. But if, Paco, if you're finding that one side is the problem and you've been using those breathe right strips, which help to kind of stent open your, your nostrils, um, it might be more of a structural problem. Like the right down the middle between your nostrils is the septum. Some people have septums that bow over to one side or have a little bit of a zigzag that makes it uh, more difficult to breathe on one side. That's that term, deviated septum. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it may help to have uh, a doctor take a look at it and see if this might be related to allergies causing just swelling in your nose or if it might be from structural issues with with so like an anatomy problem like a polyp or a growth or a retention i I see these things on reports every once in a while mucus retention cyst i don't know what it is but then i look at the scan and i go that doesn't look good so there could be some sort of physical thing in the way yep and possibly removing that could help it could yep all right we might be able to get you to get a full night's sleep paco i'm kind of hoping for you thank you all right so get it checked out Maybe if there is something to do. But, you know, curious, I like those Breathe Right strips. Mm-hmm. It seems like that actually kind of just, it is, is it, does it really do much? You see the commercial, it's like you can get 20% more airflow. Really? It can, it can help significantly. If you've got a problem with the, we call it the nasal valve, and it's kind of the, the pinch point, the tightest point in your nose where air is flowing through. And some people have just very narrow nasal valves. And the Breathe Right strip is something you put on the outside of your nose, and it helps to kind of pull the skin up and out away from your nose, and that opens up the valve a little bit. And, you know, it's... um, It works for some people. Yep, it does. All right. Going to have to go get some of those. Okay, we've got Pete on the line from Kahalu. Pete, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, thank you. It's a great show. Uh, Yeah, I've got relatives with a lot of sinus problems and your coverage is great my question though is uh, i got a relative with um uh wegner's disease yes and uh and it has to do with the sinuses and kidneys and lungs i'm just wondering how does that uh happen uh good question wegner's is um that's a full body disease. It's not just limited to your sinuses, and it's an autoimmune disease where your body's immune system is um, actually attacking real small blood vessels in those different parts of your body. And patients with Wegener's, um, which now has a, a different name, um, interestingly, actually, granuloma side so cancer. Yeah, remember. granulomatosis. Yeah, and polyangiitis. Yeah. Yep. Right. We got to give fancy names because if we don't really know how to stop it, we got to name it something pretty impressive. That's so true. that's the problem is, you know, it's we really the only way to stop it that I know of is lots of immune suppressants, which have side effects. And some of those are infections and bone loss and all sorts of things. So, you know, it seems it seems, Pete, like you're wondering, how could it affect sinuses and kidney and lungs? And what is this deal? 
Think about it. Dr. Stoddard said it's a blood vessel issue. So you got blood vessels all over your body. So if Uh, any one of those areas gets attacked, and there's some areas that tend to be a little bit more prone to this than others, that's why it seems like these random locations of the body that seem totally unrelated can yet all still be affected. mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very hard for him because it was misdiagnosed. He had a couple years of sinus sinus infections over and over, and and then it came up with this. So it was kind of weird. Well, and I'll tell you, it is weird. And in almost 20 years, I think I've diagnosed it once. And so it often takes a while to get the right diagnosis because it presents as some other problem. So you think you fixed it. You think somebody's okay. They keep getting this recurrently. And the types of docs that do an absolutely outstanding job of this are rheumatologists. I think that's one of the hardest professions out there. But they can really tease out the difference between these things that seem like it's a little bit of this condition, a little bit of that one. Everything in their world is kind of in the gray zone. Nothing's really black or white and they do a great job with it so i hope your family member has a chance to see one they can really probably get him on the right path doing better he's um but it's a very very rare condition yes Mm -hmm. you are absolutely correct and i i hope you don't have to go through the same thing yeah so just keep track of your sinus infections folks Absolutely. You got it, Pete. And if they don't get better, something that we've got to consider, if you keep getting chronic infections, this could be a sign of a problem. And maybe this is something you got to get checked out. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Stoddard, ear, nose and throat specialist at Straub Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to talk with a few more folks about sinuses. And as we've heard from our callers today, lots of people have some various sinus problems. Not everything can be turning into something serious, but there are some signs that we need to keep a watch for. When we come back, we're going to talk more about it. Remember, you can always join us at 941-3689. Toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Work, relationships, health, child rearing, all benefit from embracing gratitude. Gratitude is this rich, complex emotion that we can pin that to a specific location of the brain is amazing to me. Hi, I'm Susan Sarandon. Join me for the Science of Gratitude from PRI, Public Radio International. Thanksgiving Day at 5 p.m. This holiday season, Jake Shimabukuro presents a helping hand for the homeless December 22nd, a benefit concert for Partners in Care at HBR's Atherton Studio. I kind of like to think of it as putting our heads together. That's something that's so great about Partners in Care, you know, working, collaborating. When we all come together and we bring our strengths. A helping hand for the homeless benefit concert with Jake Shimabukuro. Ticket information available now at hawaiipublicradio.org slash events. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Straub Clinic and Hospital. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Stoddard. He is an ear, nose, and throat specialist and Today we're talking about the sinuses, all the various things that can go right, that can go wrong. 
good things to do, bad things to do, like Q-tips that I love. And uh, we're talking a little bit with some people here who really have had some various issues with their sinuses. A lot of concerns that folks have about not being able to hear correctly. How does that relate to their sinus and breathing? We've got Adam on the line from Molokai. Adam, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being so patient. What can we do for you today? So I've had um, some uh, sinus problems for about the last four years, about starting in uh, 2012 when I got out of the military. I was born and raised in Vegas, and Vegas is pretty known for having, like, chronic sinus problems due to um, mulberry trees that aren't naturally planted there. So when uh, it blooms, like, it's usually really bad sinus season over there. But I never really had any problem until when I got back in 2012. And since then, I've had all sorts of sinus problems, and I've seen uh, a few ENT doctors. I have been diagnosed with uh, sinusitis. They prescribed me uh, different saline solutions for my nose, used uh, breathe right strips, and I've had uh, surgery for a minor deviated septum, which seemed to help a little bit for like the first few weeks after the surgery. Then after that, it went back to normal, where at night, like I can't even breathe. I've had uh, studies done for um, make sure I, uh, I don't like stop breathing during the night, and I've uh, tested negative for those, but I still like wake up during the night because I feel like I can't breathe. God, that sounds horrible, Adam. So prior to 2012, you were breathing fine. Yeah, and um, both in Vegas and in the various areas that I was stationed when I was in the military, I had no problems, no history of any sinus problems either. Yeah, this kind of brings up an interesting question, Dr. Stoddard. Geographic location and variation in environment. You know, here in the islands, we've got VOG. I really feel bad for folks over there on uh, Hawaii Island because there's a lot of that particulate matter in the air. Then we've also got a lot of trade winds, which are wonderful, and they blow, and they keep us cool, but they blow lots of different things all over. Can sinus or can can allergic rhinitis be geographic? Oh, yeah, it absolutely can. I, I actually see quite a few patients who are newcomers to Hawaii who had horrible allergies in places like Nevada. and and So they had the opposite of Adam. They had troubles there. They come here, they're better. They're better for a time. And Ah. then after five years, they suddenly start to develop new concerns with nasal congestion, um, maybe new sinus infections. And I'm not an allergist, so I don't completely understand the science of that, but um, I, I think it is possible just from your geography, from the places that you've been, and wherever environment you are now, that you can, you know, have new problems with nasal congestion and sinus, uh, sinusitis. Well, and one of the things that I know our allergist does, and, and most of the allergists here in the islands do, is that they kind of have to test for island-specific grasses and weeds and pollens and things that you might not be exposed to somewhere else. Yep. And, you know, I've had some folks, even with asthma, which is a little different than just having allergies, but they say they can breathe so much better when they go to the mainland than they can here. And, and I've heard vice versa as well. So it sounds like there really could be a geographic variation. And, you know, Adam, it sounds like you found out that you don't have apnea, which is great because sleep apnea can always make you wake up. But that becomes difficult because if you can't breathe well through your nose at night, you become a mouth breather. And if you're a chronic mouth breather, you can have dry mouth, you can have other things that happen in your mouth, or you can just naturally close your mouth and then suddenly feel like breathing is much more difficult. It honestly sounds, and I know this sounds really really rogue, like going out there. But 
hey, go back to Vegas, see what happens. I mean, even go take a little trip there, see if all of your symptoms clear up. If so, you've got some geographic variation in what you're exposed to. And that may be something that long term, you know, I hate to say to move because of allergies, but hey, you know what, if that's what happens, I mean, sometimes in order to breathe, you've got to do it. I know I was having a really bad time with allergies before I went on a trip. I went on the trip, no exposures, everything calmed down, took my allergy medicine every day, and I came back and it was so much more effective. That little five days away made such a difference. Hmm. And it may have been psychological, but it worked. Kind of like my hauls. They work pretty well. (laughs) All right. So I hope that works for you, Adam, or something works for you because you need to breathe. That is definitely a protective mechanism your body has waking you up when you have a problem with breathing. And uh, and maybe if you were to take even a short trip, everybody from Hawaii goes to Vegas, go there, see if you breathe better and see if maybe that can reset your system. All right. We've got Harry from Kamuela on the phone. Harry, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha. uh, Yeah, he from the Big Island. I have um, I have uh, that geographic phenomena. I moved here four years ago, and uh, the pollens, the moles, the vog, uh, chronic every night, sinus uh, completely stuffed up. But my maintenance is uh, antihistamines, uh, cetrazine, uh, pseudo the, the twelve hour. But my uh, my specific question is this: I've noticed phenomena whereby every once in a while it's like. 24 hours of misery, drain, drain, drain. Could you comment on that, Amina? Interesting, Harry. So, you know, you'll go a couple of days with your usual routine, and then you'll just have, like, worst day ever. No, this is uh, every once in a, in a blue moon. Every couple of months, I'll go into a, a full drain cycle, like, like a rebound something. Interesting. Were you just draining lots of mucus for a full day? Uh, clear, clear. Mm-hmm. Is it really watery? Yes. Hmm. Does it happen when you're eating? Uh, no. No. Hmm. So just every few months, just it, the good news is that, hey, the faucet's turned on and all of a sudden everything drains out. I mean, the positive part of that is at least it, it all gets out of there if it hasn't been before. But I bet those that day that that happens is just you're miserable for the whole day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I'm curious. Yeah, I was wondering if this is a known phenomenon, a reaction to long-term use of uh, the pseudoephedra, um, whatever. I'm looking for feedback. Yeah, I was just going to bring up the same thing. What I find curious is, I wonder if, and and I don't know if, Dr. Stoddard, this is something that you've seen, people who take pseudoephedrine in the 12-hour formula, like the Zyrtec or Cetirizine D or Allegra D or Claritin D, in any one of those, can you develop a tolerance to it or in some cases even almost like a dependence on it that's from the nasal congestion perspective not necessarily from any other reason i'm actually not aware if you can have a a, a dependence or a a rebound after coming off of pseudoephedrine um um, like i've tried not to use it when i'm sick because it's so good when it works it's like afrin mm-hmm. and then as soon as it wears off i'm like i feel like i'm worse than when i took it or maybe i would have gotten this bad in the afternoon anyway hard to say 
But it's uh, it's it's a curious thing. I wonder if you're on it every day. Do you at some point wind up having it just either not a, not be as effective, or maybe you need more of the dose to actually get the same effect? I don't know. I try not to take it, and that doesn't really help you out so much, Harry. But you know, it's that geographic issue where it might be something totally separate from you, something in the environment that set off this super allergy drainage event for you. And then after a day, it goes away. Luckily, it does after a day. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I, I've, I don't know if I have a good explanation for it. Yeah, I definitely, uh, pardon me, I'm definitely sensitive to uh, heavy rains and trade. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a walking barometer. <laughs> well, and you know, a lot of people say that, and I really do think there's some truth to that, that you can tell what's going on with the weather because you can physically feel it. I've heard people say that with arthritis, with previous broken bones, with sinus conditions. You want to know what's going on in Kamuela, you talk to Harry, he'll let you know because he'll tell you what's been happening. And if you... I'm sorry? Between sneezes, anytime. Between sneezes, there you go. And you also, because of where you're at, there's also a lot of wonderful winds, but it is a little cooler. So you do get a little bit more of the cooler temperatures, which might blow things around a bit. I, we'll think about it, Harry. If I find something, if I can think of something, I'll, uh, I'll find a way to get in touch with you and say, hey, I figured it out. All right. But interesting question, and you've kind of stumped me a bit there. Um, hopefully we won't. Uh, hopefully you won't stump your nose so that you can actually breathe out of it at some point because that sounds kind of miserable for that twenty-four hour period. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say real quickly. The the reason I asked if it happened with eating is that there's an, another condition that that's pretty common, especially in older patients. Um, gustatory rhinitis. Thank you. I gotta love the word gustatory rhinitis. Love it. Right. And so it's where you can have these bouts, usually daily, of just profuse watery drippy mucus coming out of your nose. And it's often triggered by certain things like eating or being exposed to cold air, which is much more prominent on the mainland where people can step outside and all of a sudden their nose is just gushing. Yeah. Um, I've had that happen if I go to the East Coast during cold weather. mm -hmm. Sure. And it's not from allergies. It's not from infection. It's just that the nerves going to your nose telling it to turn on the faucet inappropriately turn on. And so it's not it's not a disease. It's not something you have to necessarily treat, but it can be embarrassing and just annoying. And so there are some nasal sprays that we can prescribe to help with drying up the nose if that happens. But that's separate from infection or allergy. Sure. That's that non-allergy rhinitis. Mm-hmm. It's in that category where you're taking all your allergy pills. It's not working. You're wondering why it might be non-allergy rhinitis just to make your life a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got Diane on the line from the Big Island. Diane, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thanks. Um, well, um, I was afraid I might be a little off topic, but the more I listen to your show, the more I think it might be related. Uh, I have hyperacusis, and as far as geographically, when I lived in California, I had a history of lots of mucus, uh, lots of nosebleeds, and one sinus infection. I moved to Hawaii permanently in 2000, and all that went away uh, for a long, long time. And then about three years ago, I started developing hyperacusis, which I, I understand is the inability to tolerate ordinary, everyday sounds, which for me is the hum of a fan, the noise of a refrigerator, talking on the phone, listening. So basically disabling, you know, isolated in the house. Um, that's kind of been taken care of a bit. It does have a cycle of going 
from the left to the right daily, and um, no one seems to know much about it, and we only have one ear, nose, and throat specialist here, and I'm just wondering if there's anything you can speak to about it. Well, you stumped me, I'll tell you that much, Diane. Hyperacosis. Acousis. Acousis. Mm -hmm. I can't even pronounce it, Diane. I'm stumped already. (laughs) Dr. Stoddard? Well, I'm I'm not necessarily an expert in it either, but it is where you are extremely sensitive to sound. And, um, you know, uh, we don't always know why it develops. I have seen it personally as in a trend with patients who also suffer from migraine headaches and people who are very sensitive to any kind of stimulus, sound, light, um, and... Um, you know, I, well, as, as far as our show today, I don't think it really relates to sinusitis and to, to. So her previous sinus infections, probably not a risk factor for it. I think probably not. Okay. Because they're the way that we hear things, our whole ear structure also requires some function of the brain mm-hmm. and that that's probably not in the sinus area. That's more in the ear function area. That's right. That's okay. Right. Well, then I won't take up any more of your time, and thank you very much. Well, no, I appreciate it. I love to get educated. But, you know, and, and that's a real interesting point, is that earplugs, you know, for somebody who has this hypersensitivity to sound, are earplugs good or earplugs bad? Should I be, if, if I want to use earbuds when I walk around the park and listen to music or something, is that a bad idea? No, not at all. And uh, especially if you're going to a concert or someplace where you are expecting there to be loud noise, I encourage patients to take earplugs. And the most common ones that you find are those foam earplugs, um, which work great. Um, Anytime you put something into your ear like that, which is similar with a Q-tip, there's a chance that it could cause the earwax to kind of get pushed the wrong way to go in deeper. Or it could cause a small scratch in the skin in the ear canal, which can lead to an infection. And so I see some patients who, you know, are using weed whackers all day and they're, or they, they work in the lawn industry or something and they keep putting the same earplugs in, which get kind of, you know, a little grungy. (laughs) And (laughs) so changing them out would be good. But also the Mm -hmm. one thing about those foam ones is you can really make them smaller so you can fit them in, but then they can expand. So you don't have to like push it in your ear too far. You actually just gently put it in and let it, let it mold itself to your ear canal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are okay. Those are fine. That's and great. how about the ones that I want to use when I walk around the park? Oh, uh, just earbuds for... Just regular hearing music. Ah, they're fine. Just being careful not to, you know, turn the volume up too too high. Yeah, because then you've got Diane's condition I still can't pronounce. All right. Hyperacusis. <laughs> Hyper, I'm going to learn something new, Diane. I loved... That's part of the joy of the show. I'm going to look it up. Get educated. All right. We have time for one last caller. We have... Amy from Haiku. Ami, I'm sorry. I can't even read my own handwriting, Ami. This is a bad day. Ami from Haiku. How are yes. you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you both? I'm better now that I can pronounce your name. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having a cool name. All right, what can we do for you today? Yeah, I was just driving home from work today, and I love listening to your show, and I, I heard that you were talking about sinusitis. And I was curious about your, uh, uh, if you knew anything about turmeric root, and the quality of the uh, the root itself and how it benefits um, inflammation and if it could be used for sinusitis if it were brought into a distillate uh, inhaled nasally through a nasal sprayer. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you, 
turmeric itself is actually an all-natural anti-inflammatory. In fact, it's been used for centuries in other countries in cooking or in various different types of ways that people can ingest it to try and get that anti-inflammatory effect. And in fact, it actually works fairly well for certain conditions, arthritis being one of them. Um, I don't know if there is, I, I don't know if you were to put it in a distillate would it be okay to inhale it in the nose? Mainly because, you know, Dr. Stoddard, the nose is full of such significant blood vessels that kind of absorb things directly and very quickly. I don't like sublingual, like under the tongue is another way where we can absorb medicines super quick because blood vessels are right there. I don't know. Is it safe to do some type of anti-inflammatory distillate of turmeric. I know you can ingest it orally mm-hmm. and that it works as a fairly good anti-inflammatory. Is it safe to to inhale it up your nose? I would exercise some caution there. I I can't comment specifically on using supplements like that for sinusitis or I mean because there are a lot of products out there, right? If you go to your uh, natural food store or, you know, anywhere that that sells products that can like turmeric or or um, uh, other things as well. Uh, I just I, don't know about the, the the blood vessel absorption because it's so vascular. By vascular, I mean you've got all those blood vessels in the nose. Not a lot of separation between the lining of the nose and the blood vessels that absorb things, thus why we, we need that so we can get our oxygen and everything else. But, you know, that could potentially, I would wonder if it could cause some irritation or, or you know, it's funny, could an anti-inflammatory or actually cause inflammation? But if it's so close to a sensitive, delicate area like the nose, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be like you said, very cautious. The only thing I worry about is your sense of smell, too. I mean, mm. there was a product back in the 80s that people would take for colds. Uh, it was a zinc spray in the nose, and it could actually damage the olfactory nerve, or the nerve of smell. And people, I know a lot of people who lost their sense of smell uh, from using that spray. Yep. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it, that's the only reason I would recommend caution with using it. And um, But it, used systemically, you know, taken orally, hey, it might do great things for just taking care of the inflammation. It can, sure. So that is another another option. If you're going to consider it in a form other than in a tablet, be very careful and be monitoring that sense of smell. Yeah, I didn't realize that the zinc sprayers lost it permanently. Mm-hmm. It's around dinner time. That would make me extremely sad. Mm-hmm. But it might be good for me. All right. Well, we've learned a lot about the sinuses. We are definitely going to have to have you come back at some point and talk a little bit about some of the other areas we didn't. We sort of touched a little bit on deviated septum, how that anatomic problem can actually make it hard for you to breathe and why there really is a medical rationale if you can't breathe for fixing it. You know that, you know, sometimes you hear about people say, I had a nose job because I couldn't breathe. I had a deviated septum. Yes, actually, that's true. Mm -hmm. You might have had that done for that reason, because medically, if you can't breathe, or if it's that deviated, you really could have a problem and you need to change that. So yep. we've got to talk some more about sinuses. We had quite a quite a lot of callers today, some great questions. Well, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for having me on. Good. Thank you for coming on. And I'd love to have you on again. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Cheers. Thank you. Dr. Timothy Stoddard is an ear, nose, and throat specialist at Straub Medical Center. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can always click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can listen to our podcast. You can also find us on Facebook 
Our engineers, welcome back to David Chong. Our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next next week live right here on The Body Show. We're going to be talking a little bit about diabetes, a different topic, but definitely current and something we need to know about right around the Thanksgiving holiday. So have a good one to you and yours, and we'll see you next week here on The Body Show. See you then. Woo!